Well, we want to welcome each and every one officially here today, and we're glad you're present today, and welcome those who are back uh, as well, who's been kind of absent during this pandemic, and we're glad you're here today as well. And uh, we're thankful for those who are tuning in live and uh, through a live stream, and we welcome you as well, and, and uh, trust that uh, your time of worship with us will be uplifting and encouraging uh, as we move along together. And uh, we invite each and every one to come on back uh, at, your, uh, at your comfortability. Uh, we hope to also begin Holy Communion next Sunday following our service. It's going to be a little different way, but we're going to try it and uh, along with, with Sunday school, uh, at least one class face-to-face uh, -face meeting next Sunday as well. So we're glad you're here, and I trust that uh, you know that God is good and God is in control, and He loves you and He cares for you beyond measure and that you as well love him and care for him uh, beyond measure as well. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you give us opportunity this morning to be together in worship, whether it was via Zoom or uh, live stream or here face to face, that we are able to participate together and, uh, and, and worship you and to recognize you as God. In the midst of all that's going on in our world, we ask that you help uh, the spirit within each of us to become calm and excited because of the spirit of the living God who hovers over us. And we thank you for loving us and caring for us and providing for our every need. As we look to you and we worship you and we honor you and recognize you as Abba Father, uh, God of all creation and God who's in control. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You know, I trust that in the, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of storms that happen in our life, that you recognize that God is in control and God is not against you. He is for you. He is with you. He guides you. He directs you. And he allows, uh, he allows things to happen, maybe for uh, purposes beyond our understanding at the time we're going through it. But as we look back many times through the storms, we recognize that God's hand was in it all along and lessons were learned in the process. We were strengthened and our faith was deepened and we're able to see God even clearer. So today I want to bring a message that's entitled The Unexpected Storm in, uh, in Matthew chapter 8 uh, verses 23 through 27. It's the passage of scripture obviously where the disciples and Jesus were in a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden a storm uh, rears its ugly face and it scares the wits out of the disciples. And Jesus looks at the disciples in the midst of that and clears his throat and smiles and says, what's the matter? And he begins to settle them down and he calms the storm. And I wish life was that easy many times because storms happen in our life storms that are very unwelcomed and storms that take us by surprise and storms that hit us directly when we least expect it. And we would trust that at the moment that we recognize that it's a fierce storm, that we cry out to God and immediately it ceased. Sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. It lasts a little longer. We get drenched a little bit longer. We have to deal with the mightiness of the wind, figuratively speaking, and we get blown down a couple of times we wipe ourselves off, we get back up, and we try it all over again, and we make it through. And then we realize the stillness in the midst of the storm comes, but at times in God's timing. And so as we think about this message, I want us to think about the 
the unexpected storm or the unexpected storms. On 245 on a Friday afternoon, local time here in the United States, life was, was normal. I mean, or should I say uh, it was about uh, 645 or 845 here, but in 245 in the afternoon in Japan, life began to change because by 246 on that particular day, things changed without warning. Students were in class, shoppers were in grocery stores, trains were running, passengers were loading airplanes, banks were open, government officials uh, were in meetings, lovers were thinking about dinner dates that evening, power plants were running smoothly, roads were open, dock workers were preparing for goods to be loaded on cargo ships to go all over the world. And by 2.46 in the afternoon, without warning, the earth began to quake in Japan. When it came to you know, when it comes to earthquakes and tsunamis, Japan is probably the most prepared country in anyone else in the world. Immediately, power was cut off to all the power plants. Warning signals began to blare all across the land. Students dove under their desk, just as they had been trained to do, and buildings began to shake, but yet they didn't fall as they were built to do. Government, military, and law enforcement hit the streets in emergency mode as they're drilled to do. But the earth continued to shake. Eighty miles out into the deep blue sea of the Pacific Ocean, six miles above the massive movements of all of the earth plates, the salt water was beginning to churn and tossed about with a force stronger than they could ever imagine. The first wave slammed into the shoreline two hours later, 23 feet above the beaches that had been calm prior to that. Cars and ships and houses and chunks of road were swept along the massive water that came ashore in Japan. The aftershocks came one right after another, one dozen or so, one right after another. More than 50 aftershocks were recorded from that earthquake that happened that devastated Japan. By the time the first waves receded into the sea, preparing yet for another blast of water, houses and cars were underwater. Explosions happened. Hundreds of bodies began to surface as they were drowned. At sea, at sea a ship tossed about of 100 passengers just disappeared. Tankers were flipped over in the harbors. Passenger trains just went missing. The whole, whole shebang of this storm devastated Japan. The waterfront of Sundale burned out of control. As firefighters reached the area, all roads leading up to that area were broken and pieces missing. Inland 30 miles from the coast, 50 miles from the worst of the damage. On top of that, the dam broke and began to flood more houses and immediately sending a torrent of water all throughout the neighborhoods. By the time the damage is surveyed, 1,800 homes have been destroyed, and yet people were climbing to higher ground still trying to seek refuge and to seek safety. As far south as Tokyo, ambulances lined up in the masses outside of school where a roof had collapsed 
an unknown amount of children trapped in that school. With the collapse of the infrastructure, six, homes, six million homes lost power. Millions of people were looking for food and fresh water. All on the horizon loomed the worst news of all. There were critical, potentially devastating problems developing at a nuclear power plant in Japan. Warnings are issued all over the world, especially the countries closest to them, including that of Hawaii. The tsunami crosses the surface of the ocean more than 200 miles long. Visions of more destruction seems to be coming from Indonesia to New Zealand as well as parts of the United States. Two hours and 14 minutes after the first tremor, officials announced the death, death toll will exceed more than 1,000 people. Even as they make the announcement, a magnitude of a 6.6 earthquake shakes Japan. Skyscrapers in Tokyo began to sink, I mean, began to sway as if they were drunk. Such is the nature of the unexpected. On a Wednesday night, a piece of pavement in which many have traveled, two sisters, age 11 and age 17, were coming back from an Ash Wednesday service. In less than what it takes to describe what happened, the 11-year-old girl and the sister of the 17-year-old girl, which the 17 was driving, had an accident, and both of them were immediately killed. It had been a normal Wednesday, work, school, lunch in the afternoon, a quick meal at dinner, and then off to church for a meeting. There was no warning, not the slightest of amount of warning for the parents on this particular day, as they would soon have to face the unexpected and the horribleness of planning a double funeral. Staggering through the casket selections, finding the sleep impossible, coming to grips with the fact of the unspeakable loss of two of their most beautiful people of their life, their two precious daughters. Such is the nature of the unexpected storm. During the ministry of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 that's recorded, there's lots of, all throughout Jesus' ministry, there are unexpected storms that happen. But one that, which is recorded beginning in verse 23 of chapter 8, as he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat began to be swamped by the waves. But he was sleeping, Jesus that is. So the disciples came and woke him up. Lord, save us. We're going to die. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, you of little faith? And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. You see, Matthew, who lived through the storm, tells us what happened. Some of the most unexpected moments are very difficult moments in our life. And just as it was in Japan that day and for these, these parents of these two children, it is for the disciples as well as they're facing a literal storm that caught them completely unprepared 
And yet Matthew lives through it, and he tells us that he, you know, then he got into the boat. They all got into the boat. The disciples following Jesus, and without warning, after Jesus fell asleep, the storm rose up and caught them by surprise. And eventually Jesus wakes up, calms the storm, and says to them, Why are you fearful? Why do you have such little faith? The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this? This is the man they're following. This is the one they believe who is the Son of God, the Messiah. This is the one that they know has come to rule the world. The kingdom of God is at hand because of him. And they're still wondering, what kind of man is this who has the power to calm the seas? It's a normal day. It's a normal ministry for the disciples. It's, it's normal conversation without warning. All seems to be at risk for the disciples. They're fearful for their lives. And yet, it became imperative not to complete the task at hand and it became imperative just to stay alive and that's all they wanted to do is stay alive while we're thinking about this very unpleasant fact of life you and i are living through the unexpected today who would have thought that by the 19th of february of this year of 2020 and by the middle of march by the 25th of March, life would change for all of us beyond imagination. And it became a part of survival. Stay at home, hunker down, don't see anybody, don't handshake, don't hug, don't get too close that you can smell their breath. Keep your distance, close your garage, and don't see anybody and don't communicate. And then all this will go away. We're living through the unexpected. Fear has gripped the lives of many people all across the world. Fear has gripped the lives of many children all across the school systems. Senior adults all across the resisted living facilities, hospitals, doctors, all those sorts of things. If we had been prepared would we have known what to do? But storms don't give us preparation in the real sense of the term. It comes unexpected, as it did for the disciples on this particular day. As they were facing what looked like a very normal day, then all of a sudden something happens. But we've come here today because we always do. We tune in live because that's what we're accustomed to do. We're doing what we normally do instinctively on every Sunday. And that's where we belong. And you know that's an important part of your life. And then ultimately your faith relationship with Christ becomes the most important thing. So let's talk about understanding storms. And I want to give you three points that hopefully there's nothing profound about it, but can be reminders to us all about how to face and what to do in the midst of the unexpected. Number one, storms are coming. Without a shadow of a doubt, mark it down, storms are coming in our life. It may be on an afternoon where you're sitting there in a normal situation and all of a sudden you feel a little bit of pains that you don't normally expect and then before long you find yourself looking at doctors because they said you've had a heart attack. 
or you're sitting there on the, on the table as you're waiting for the results of the doctor to come back in the room and she, he or she says, I'm sorry to give you this information, but you've got cancer and I've got to refer you to an oncologist. Or you go to a dentist and you realize, oh my goodness, the teeth that I've been chewing with all these years, I'm going to lose half of them because of just something has happened to the root system. Or you go to traveling to the mall and all of a sudden you're side-swiped or coming back from the mall and you're side-swiped and, and you find yourself in an, an unparalleled situation of a collision and you don't hear a thing when you have that collision and you're wondering, first of all, is everyone okay? Your life turns upside down in a flash. I think if a person gave up everything to Jesus, Jesus would make sure that they had to face anything difficult with grace and with trust and with faith and with courage. Like any good employer would do, Jesus would make sure his workers had a stress-free environment. But we know that that doesn't happen in all cases. The stress happens. Jesus tells his disciples, let's get in a boat, and yet I'm going to take you to another part of the world, and we're going to do some ministry on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And while they're in the midst of that lake, all of a sudden, not a very big lake, a storm raises up. Nevertheless, it's a big body of water, and yet three miles long, seven miles wide. And if you get out in the middle of the water, lots of things can go bad very quickly. When I traveled to Israel back in 1985, we were on the Sea of Galilee, and we stopped in the dead center of the lake, and right when we stopped, all of a sudden, we all were aware because we were reading the story of this storm. And all of a sudden, we felt the breeze and we felt the swish of wind. And because of where it's sitting with the, the mountainous range around the Sea of Galilee, the sea itself sitting really below its sea level point, if that makes sense, because it drops down into more like a pool and because of the wind coming through the flatter part of the region up against the hills, it, became, it creates a wind funnel that right in the middle of the lake is very pointed. And when the wind begins to blow, it goes. And when you're right in the middle, you feel the forceness of that wind. I think every one of us who are listening to the story, or the minister who was with us at the time reading that story, Standing there and the boat began to rock a little bit and we started to feel the breeze. We were thinking, crank up the motor. Let's get out of here. We know what can happen. Storms are coming and they will to you and me. No one gets a free pass. No one gets a free pass from tragedy, disease, or the unexpected. You don't get a pass from the disappointments in life just because you're faithful to Jesus. The storms are coming. And yet, at some point in life, it would be a good idea if we came to grips with one of the most basic truths of life. Death is a part of life. Tragedy is a part of life. Unexpected is a part of life. Sickness is a part of life. It happens. It's certain. The Bible says it's appointed once for every person to die and then judgment. A local census bureau reported that one out of one people in your community are going to die. Think about it for just a moment. 
one out of one is going to die. Do something as a result of this message. Prepare yourselves in your mind and heart that storms are going to happen. But do something else. Go beyond the fact of the realization that the storms are there to prepare your heart to hold on to the hand of God a little bit tighter and to know him a little bit greater each and every day so when the unexpected happens, you don't cry out, why, God? You cry out, what? What are you teaching me, God? And what are you going to do through the midst of this storm that's going to develop me into the character of the person you have designed me to be from the very beginning so that I can walk with you stronger, that I can keep my eyes on you, my heart focused, and my life connected to a reverent relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a different outlook in life. Storms are coming. Number two, the good news about the storms, even though they're coming, the good news about it is this, that Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. I read a lot of stories and watched some videos of what happened many years ago in Japan on that Friday afternoon. One thing you'll notice in the eyewitness reports is that people felt completely out of control. And they were, because they couldn't stop the water. They couldn't stop the earth from quaking. They couldn't stop the devastation. They couldn't stop the fires. They couldn't stop the people missing. They couldn't stop it. It was out of control. When life gives you a big enough crisis, you need something that, is, that isn't just moving and shaking your life. You need something beyond that which lets you down. You need something that is beyond your imagination of strength. And we find it in Christ. Jesus is that something. Jesus is the one you want to know when life starts getting hard. In the storm on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was obviously in control. He went to sleep. And when he woke up, it was like a breath of fresh air. I love the breeze. It was just blowing through his hair. And the disciples were hunkered down, holding on to each other and, and tying themselves to the, the bottom of the boat. Jesus was asleep, but the disciples woke him up. And yet in their panic, Jesus stops the storm and it stopped. And when he finally speaks, he asks him the most unusual question. Where is your faith? Why are you afraid? It seems to me that drowning at the sea is a time to be afraid. It seems to me that the capsizing in the midst of these storm waters of the boat is something to be concerned about. But Jesus says, where is your faith? Why are you afraid? Maybe this storm doesn't come in the form of an earthquake. Maybe you're at home, finally alone, and you're dealing one-on-one -on -one with whatever you're facing, that difficulty, that moment in your life emotionally, and yet your body doesn't want to cooperate with all your movements. Listen to Jesus. Where is your faith? Why are you afraid? You lose your job. Maybe it's a time to ask, where is your faith? Why are you afraid? The marriage is on the rocks. The engagement is broken. Where's your faith? Why are you afraid? You see, Jesus is in control if you believe that he is God of your life and God of this world and God of this universe and God of this kingdom. 
then you've got to know that whatever comes our way, as devastating and as strong as it is, we've got to realize Jesus is in control. It's not something that's going to cause him to panic. It's not something that's going to cause him to be fearful. He knows what we're facing before we face it, and he knows how we're going to go through it if we trust him. And Jesus is in control. When Jesus said to the storm, be still, the storm obeyed. Got a storm in your life? Know that Jesus is in control. Whether or not this earth is shaking or life as we know it is changing, Jesus is in control. The key, of course, is getting in the boat with the one who is in control. And it's so often our tendency is to run from the storm, but Jesus teaches us to live through the storm and to know that we, that he is in control of our storm, even though we feel it's out of control. The disciples survived the storm at sea only because Jesus was in their storm. They tried all their skills at surviving. They tried to beg for that wind to stop and the rain to stop and the waves to cease, but they realized they had no control over their storm. It was hitting them in the face. It was beyond their imagination. It was beyond what they thought about. And then they realized, wait a minute, Jesus, the man we're following, the man who has power to heal those who are sick, the man who has the power to, to know what people are even thinking before they thought it, he, he knows them from their head to their toe. He knows all about them. Is right there in the midst of their storm. Because Jesus was in their boat, they survived nicely. Folks, Jesus is in our storm. Whatever we're facing in this pandemic, in this life today, in our, in our world, individually or corporately together as people, remember Jesus is in control. He understands where we are. He understands what you're facing. Now, all of the things that they, they did not understand on that day, the one thing they did understand when Jesus calmed the storm is that Jesus has the power to bring calmness to their life. Even in the midst of the storm, even though the wind is still hitting you in the face, even though the rain is, is, is downpouring upon you, even though you don't know which direction to look and turn, and you can't see beyond the darkness, know that Jesus is in your storm and he's in control. Number three and last is this. Trust Jesus enough to obey him. Trust Jesus enough to obey him. So, so what was Jesus teaching these disciples? Was it just so that he could rise up and say, gotcha, Right when you were that weak moment of your life got you. And so I proved to you that I have the power to steal this storm. That was not the focus of the story. The focus of the story was to get the disciples from an amount of lack of faith to an amount of faith that led them to walk in trust and obedience from this day forward. Funny thing about the story in Matthew 8 is that disciples, an unexpected storm, had to, be the, had to be one of the most unforgettable experiences of their life. 
But that encounter, that story, immediately follows another encounter and another story. You would think they got it. It was like a V8. It was like the light came on. They understand everything. They were supercharged, and they were over-trusting, over if you could ever do that. They were really enthusiastic of what Jesus could do. Wrong. Jesus continued the paddling of the boat. He continued to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Gerardine region is where they're going. And you say, what importance is that region? Basically, it's the area where all the prodigals go. And so when Jesus shared the story about the prodigal son that's recorded in Luke chapter 15, they could picture the understanding of a prodigal to where the, the son says to the dad, I want everything that's mine, and so long, goodbye, good riddance. And he goes. Well, this is like the region for all the prodigals. This is where you could do anything you wanted to do. You lose your sensibility. You could do anything you want to do in the sense of uh, eating to wild orgies. That's how bad it was in this region. Very uncomfortable place to be. And Jesus goes there and he gets there to the edge of the shore. And what's interesting is in verse 28, when he came to the other side to the region of, of Gerardine, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What do you have to do with us, Son of God? Isn't it interesting? Recognized him as the Son of God. You have to come here to torment us in this time? Now a long way off from them, a large herd of pigs were feeding. This is where the pig slops were. This is just, so when Jesus shared that prodigal story, they could picture this region. They could picture the prodigal feeding off the pods from the pigsty. This is where no one wanted to be. This was a place that you just didn't travel. It was the, the other side of your world that you didn't want to go into and mingle with the people because of things like this. Demon-possessed people. Go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. And at that point, the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him, leave our region. You would think they would say, stay for the rest of your life. Change this prodigal region into something good. But the history tells us that they were more concerned with the loss of the pigs than they were the change of life. And it's something interesting that's not recorded in Scripture here. You don't see where the disciples even got out of the boat with Jesus in this region. 
I would think that if it was something to be worth noting, that the disciples coming from the storm who now has learned to trust Jesus enough to obey him, that they would have jumped out of the boat, maybe even jumped out before the, before the boat got to the water and swam to the shore so they could be there to greet Jesus as his boat comes to the shore so they can keep him dry and they could walk with him and see him do amazing things in this region. But we do not get any sort of recognition about the disciples. Were they still fearful? They still have a lack of faith? Where were the disciples in this story? Jesus heals the demon-possessed men and sends the pigs off to their no-no land. He gets in the boat and the disciples back in the safety, uh, their safety net. He then travels next to Capernaum, their home. Fear factor? Who knows? Wrong place? Spooked by demons? Who knows? Crazy man didn't appear to be crazy anymore. But nevertheless, there were a lot of things to be concerned with. Just the disciples, I feel, just hang, hung close to their boat. I can almost hear the questions on the way home. Where's your faith? Why were you fearful again? I just proved to you I have the power to calm the still, bring calmness to the most fierce storm of your life. Why are you afraid? Why couldn't you join me as we watch this, these two men become healed before they kicked me out of the region? Why wasn't you there with me? Where's your faith? Why are you afraid? If Jesus is in control in the midst of the unexpected storm, wouldn't he be in control of all other times of our life as well? Why didn't one of them approach the demon-possessed man and say, you're getting ready to have a mind boggling, character transporting, liberating experience with this man who's getting ready to heal you. But you don't see that. And we watched what happened and yet we feel as if we know that this was the turning point for the disciples. Why didn't they do any of those things? Give that same group of men a few more months and it's almost as if they get on a runaway train. There's nothing going to stop them from that point on. They learn something in the midst of their storm. They learn something by their inactivity in the ministry of Jesus in this particular no land of prodigals. And what we do know is this: these men went into their community where they, they were the only Jews in sight and there they preached as if they were standing before the friends of the world. They stood there before rulers and authorities and they told people about the power that is, with, that is around them, the power that could even kill them, but the power that was there to save them. Unlearned men of Galilee who had figured out in their, in their mind and the heart of hearts that these particular men finally got it. They suffered imprisonment, they suffered torture, and they continued to preach the same message that had gotten them into that particular environment in the first place. They moved from community to community, went from Jews to Gentiles, and they began to evangelize the whole world. They spoke in local synagogues, and they spoke about Jesus. They were sentenced to death, 
and they rejoiced over their futures. We know that this experience changed them. In other words, they finally got it. They came to a point where they didn't just say that they were following Jesus. They actually followed him. They trusted him enough to obey him in everything of their life. Somewhere in their following Jesus, they had to drop the fear factor. They had to realize that Jesus was in the midst of their life. He was in control and that their faith was growing so that their obedience could be right on target. If this is a man so much in control that he can stop a storm, then he's going to be able to take care of everything else that comes along the way. They finally got it. I mean, what is known about any life situation is that Jesus can handle it, whatever it is, and he's not scared of it. You've got to get to the point where you and I trust him enough to obey him, to follow him wherever he leads us, to learn how to hear his voice in the midst of the calamity, and when we hear his voice, to act upon what he tells us to do. Obedience from a faith that's listening and a heart that's connected. No matter how bad the unexpected, no matter how gripping the unexpected crisis or grief point is in our life, you can get through it. You move through it. It's painful. It's not what you've planned on dealing with, but you can get through it and life can keep moving forward. The key to surviving life storms is having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As surely as the disciples needed to be in the boat with Jesus, you've got to have a living, breathing, revelant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question today isn't about whether or not the next storm is coming, because it is. No doubt about it. The real question is, are you ready for what the unexpected is getting ready to teach you? Are you ready for the unexpected and what it's going to teach you? The good news is, God knows you better than you know yourself. And I'm thankful for that. He knows everything about the makeup of who we are. He knows about our good desires. He knows about our bad desires. He knows about the sin of our life. He knows about the triumphal moments of our life. He knows every hair that's counted on our head or those lacking thereof. He knows. He knows all about it. He knows every move we're about to make. He knows the detours down the road. He knows whether we need to go to the right or to the left and the consequences thereof that follows. And he knows all about those things. He knows and understands our anger. He understands our joy. He understands everything about us. He knows when we're weak and he knows when we're strong. He knows when we're presentable and he knows when we're not. He sees us in our nakedness. He sees us in our clothing. He knows everything about us. And yet, he still is with us. And he still loves us. And he is in control of your life and mine. He is looking for a greater trust level and a deeper faith 
that roots, takes root within us and brings up, up from us, figuratively, a beautiful, beautiful blossoming tree that are ever connected to Him. So are you prepared for the unexpected and what the unexpected will teach you? Father God, we thank you that this morning that you give us is a morning to rejoice knowing that you are a God who's in control of all of life. I thank you for the faith that you give each of us to believe as well as the wherewithal of the unction and strength to obey. I'm thankful that in the midst of uncertainties and the difficulties and the tragedies and the crisis of our life that you are God that you are God in the midst of the goodness and you're in God in the midst of the difficulty, that you're in a God in the midst of the sadness as well as the joy, and that you know us inside out and you love us still in spite of who we are. I'm thankful that you have created us to be, to be a being that is in your image, to live forth for you and to exemplify the kingdom principles of a God who's in control of a kingdom. Lord, we thank you that you love us, you care for us, you provide. Give us the, the strength and the courage to lift our heads, to lift our hands, to lift our hearts, and to walk stronger and closer with you. Thank you, Father, for being the God that you are. Give us that strength and help us to be reaffirmed that you are the anchor of our life that calms us, that stills us, and that brings ease to our life. And we give you praise and thanks for all things. In your name that we pray, amen.